Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And we are wrapping up our January theme around being the best version of you. And we have a mix of conversations that we're going to explore around uh, recognizing our voice, understanding enough, and even how all of that connects with our hair. African-American women um, often have stories, hair stories, that are tied to deeper-rooted identity, value, and perspectives. And we're going to try and cover all of that today in just 55 minutes. And I have a powerful guest who is very skilled in being able to navigate this conversation. She is a multi-book author. And let me tell you a little bit more about her. Dr. Linda J.M. Holloway is an associate professor of counselor education at Alabama State University. She has over 27 years of teaching experience. She is a poet, story activist, and multi-award winning children's book author who has published five books. They include I Love My Happy Hair, Little Miss Linda Goes to Counseling, Little Miss Linda Speaks About Sickle Cell Disease, Little Miss Linda Speaks About Rape, Little Miss Linda Speaks About Diversity. Dr. Holloway has appeared on several media outlets speaking about her children's books and her vision for understanding and loving who you are. She's appeared on Dope Living TV. She's been identified as the top 30 influential women movers and shakers in June of 2022 by Kish Magazine. She's been connected with Chosen Pen. She's been recognized in 30 awesome picture books, Uplifting Black Children with Natural Hair, where her book, I Love My Happy Hair, was ranked number 10 for Comfy Girls with Curls. She's been on Rejoice Radio 102.3, BHC Black House Collaborative Television, Second Chance Broadcast Radio, Black Authors Matter, Zoom Into Books, New Book Network, Dope Black Women Podcast, and Take Care of Etowa Podcast. So we are going to explore a conversation together, our identity, how it's connected to our voice, even how does that lead to the boldness to actually become published. She's got a broad deep and engaging story. And so I just want to welcome, welcome to the Flipside Conversation, Dr. Linda Holloway. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome that you um, have been willing um, to engage in this conversation. And I first was engaged by 
in your bio, you identify yourself as a story activist. Can you tell us what is a story activist? Absolutely. But before I say that, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. And I also want to say good afternoon, good evening, good morning to whoever's listening or will listen in the future. Um, a story activist, because I consider myself to be an activist. So when I did the stories, I wanted them to be something that would stir people's soul. It, mm-hmm. They wouldn't just read a book, but once they read the book, they would actually want to take and do something about it. Because even the character in the book, Little Miss Linda, whatever she faced, whatever challenge she faced or adversity, she flipped it and she made it out of a activist movement. Not just a moment, but a movement. Mm, I love so the I, I love the concept of not only reading a book, but beginning to identify what can I do because I have engaged in this story and getting inspired by Little Miss Linda. And and so one of your acclaimed books that, that for those of us who are on Facebook can see the cover behind you, your book, I Love My Happy Hair, one distinguished favorite children's book in 2021 by New York City's Big Book Award. Where did the inspiration for your book series actually come from? Well, in the area of academic, you know, they often talk about publish or perish. But I specifically, trying to play it safe, chose historically Black colleges. Normally we say HBCU. And so they were teaching college. So I tried to avoid the whole idea of publishing because that wasn't what I wanted to do. I simply wanted to teach and educate our students. And so as a result, I had to kind of build myself in in terms of writing confidence. And so um, a particular journal reached out to me and said, hey, would you start writing? It was an online journal. So in that, I didn't just want to write. I wanted to write with a purpose. But then I moved from writing with a purpose with writing with a passion. So many of my books, they actually derive from articles I wrote. For example, you mentioned I Love My Happy Hair. I had written an article on Black women hair in the marketplace. And so that book actually arrived. So when I was doing research and reading, I realized that not only just women, but young girls. So I said, well, how can I reach young girls? And I said, okay, through children's books. And so that's how it came about. Wow. So let's just back up for a moment. I'm curious as you were able to begin to unpack um, overcoming the the concern or the fear of actually um, writing for academia, you took your own experiences and were able to identify how to tell the story to connect with children. So tell us a little bit about the article that you wrote around Black women in the workplace, and then let's walk into what you hope um, other girls and women can learn from Little Miss Linda. Okay, so 
In terms of the article, Black Women Here in the Marketplace, the article actually dealt with my, me telling my own personal story. I have 27 years where I was in the military. So I have done a lot of different things with my hair. I grew up in Mount Bayou, Mississippi, which is a historically Black town. I have uh, six sisters and two brothers. So I spent a lot of time with my mom in terms of how she would do my hair, whether it was holding my ear, you know, the pressing comb, all the things that come with it. So when I would hear these stories about women being discriminated against in the marketplace because of how they wore their hair, I thought, well, they really don't understand the history behind Black women in their hair. So I began to study and research about hair and realized hair was a way of communication, the different tribes over in Africa. It was just not something that was just on our head. We took a lot of pride in how we wore our hair. So the article does a lot of different things. It gives a historical background. It tells my own personal hair story. It talks about, um, you know, different people who were discriminated against in the marketplace because of their hair, they lost their job. And so, and then it goes into just really talking about what hair really means. And are you really hiring somebody because what they have on their head or what they have in their head? And I teach a course called career counseling. So I actually incorporate my articles into my class. So I get my students to tell their own hair story because I realized that everybody has a hair story. And so we began to share around that. And so, and you mentioned what I hope that people would take from the book it's a sense of pride and being able to celebrate because one of the things we don't want to just identify that this is a problem we also want to move to how do we solve this so we do know that there was a law that was passed around how women wearing their hair in the marketplace so just well, not necessarily women, but just Black people in general. And so with that policy came, you know, different changes around that so that we'll be sociably acceptable about who we are as a person. And so I, like you mentioned, that's what I really want is people take away the confidence because in the I Love My Happy Hair, there's a song and the children really love singing the song and it's called I Love My Happy Hair. And they get to sign a pledge also. Wow. Again, this opportunity of first acknowledging I, I connected with you from the moment you said, hold down your ear. I know there are, <laughs> I might be telling my age, but I know there are some African-American women. As soon as you said that, I remember the days holding down my ear to try and protect it and how powerful Gaining a clear narrative and pride around understanding hair is not just about the thing, but it actually is tied to identity, is tied to memories, is tied to storytelling. And when I think about um, how Little Miss Linda can show up with so much joy on the cover of your book. And I know you travel to help students um, with understanding their hair. I've seen some of your YouTube clips where you actually bring artifacts, the different kinds of creams and ointments, and you even had in one picture, you actually had the press and comb in, in your hand. What is 
what would you say is your activist moment with children? Are they too young or is this out of date for them? Because I know some of them might not even know what a press comb is. So what is your activist piece for children on this journey in understanding the the root behind our hair? Now, that's a wonderful question. When you say root. So one of the things that you want to do when you're talking to an audience or children is you want to uh, kind of set the stage. So I want to give them the historical context about hair and what all entails. So a lot of the children, they do know about pressing cones. They are able to identify those particularly. And the ones that are not, they are introduced. So before I just, I didn't want to just go into the schools or the churches and simply sit there and just read a book. I wanted to come alive. So I would actually, I have these artifacts so that they can tell me what they mean, how they have seen them being used and things like that and take pride in it. And so, because one of the things we talked about earlier was, you know, relating to the children, but there were children that were actually excused from school because the way they had their hair. So if I'm not in school, that means I can't, I'm not being educated. So mm-hmm. there's a relationship between not being in school and academic achievement. And so because you have now shamed a child, made them feel bad about the way they wear their hair, they are no longer in school and they feel bad. And so we just can open up and talk about it and begin to celebrate it. So, um, and you mentioned you saw the video clips and some of the video clips, they're white, they're Hispanics that may not have the same type of experience. And it takes me back to the doll studies and it was Clark and Clark, a husband and wife. And when you think about that study, it still goes back into racial identity and pride. And, and, and sometimes the children will say the doll was ugly, but only thing was different was their skin tone. And so we really just want to, like you say, get to the root because oftentimes people want to say, well, why do we got to go back to 1619? Why do we got to go back to slavery? Because there is a historical context. And if you don't understand that, then you will miss it. Because oftentimes I would see these pictures and the women would have uh, their, a scarf on their head. And I was always thinking they have their head scarf and this was during slavery. But they did this to protect their hair from the sun. And they would use Sundays when they had time to sit around and do their hair because they took a lot of pride in their hair. Mm. But the you, pride, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, but you would only see these pictures and they look like they had a rag on their head, but they was using it as a form of protection because the sun was really, really hot and they were being exposed and they did not have the proper equipment and things that they need to do their hair, just like women who had started to wear their hair natural. So people began chemists and people began to develop products so that they can do this. So you can imagine back in the 16 and 18, 1700, they didn't have it, but they created. And and some of the stories are really profound, like using grease from uh, the axle of a wheel, but they found ways to try to do their hair. And one of the books, but I wasn't able to get my hand on the original book, but it's called 400 Years Without a Comb. And that was just really powerful during my study because I say you hear about all these other things, but you don't hear about 
uh, what they did to be able to take care of their hair. Because you think about someone traveling in the ship, someone coming over, but they were not able to take care of their personal hygiene. So a lot of times when they arrived, they had to get their hair cut off because it was matted. And it, you know, things like that. And that's where the term dreadlock came because they say his hair looked dreaded. Wow. When you don't know the context, you are more easily able to dismiss the significance of images, of identity, of even generationally how things have been passed down. If you don't have context, and so one of the elements that I see in you, in those pictures, in your videos on YouTube, as you, in in uh, just radiance, connecting with children and helping them understand the power, the story behind hair, and how it's relevant today to being proud and connected with your identity. Before we take our break, you spend time talking with children about this. I'm curious, what would you tell your younger self about your hair? I would tell my younger self about my hair is to value it and to appreciate it the way it is. Because um, Without telling my age, but when I was coming up to have straight hair was something that was, you know, you took pride in or to have longer hair. And uh, with six siblings, my hair didn't grow as long as theirs. But I was always looking, peeping over, saying, I wish my hair was like theirs. Or I even told my mom one time because she was a fair complexion lady and her hair was kind of wavy and curly. And I said, I really wish I had hair like you. And she said, oh, you don't want this kind of hair. And so as I grew older, I began to value the coarseness of my hair. And so I would tell my younger self, appreciate the way God has created you and your hair is beautiful just the way it is. Yes. I think about when we get ready to come back, how continuing to look to something else, wishing you had that and missing the value of what you do have, how that can creep into other areas in our life and create barriers, create um, challenges, but also an opportunity for us to break free from distorted narratives. And so when we come back from our break, I'd love for you to tell us three words that you would describe for your journey that you've taken to get to this point. Three words. I'll give you some time. We're going to get ready to take a quick break. If you've not had an opportunity to check out Living Strong, we have several resources, webinars, and the opportunity to connect with educators around understanding narrative, understanding how to rewire misconceptions around identity, how to have brave conversations around equity. And we absolutely 
absolutely love to be able to talk about the importance of representation for children to begin to understand that when they what they see can also be what they become. So when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Holloway. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if the most special part about you was not how you fit in, but how you stood out in a world that has never seen your kind of beauty? What if you could walk confidently in your God-given beauty, identity, and purpose? My name is Sandra Coates, and I am the founder and visionary of a movement called United and True. We want every woman to know that she is being transformed, she has been redeemed, and she is unique. I'm also an author of a newly released book called None Like Her. It is about awakening the beauty and the value that is within every woman. You see, it's time that we rise up through the confusion and the chaos and the comparison and the shame to know that there is nothing more we need to do to access the beauty that is within us. Please visit SandraCoats.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Welcome back. We have been having a conversation um, not only about our hair, but the root issues that can be tied to the story we tell ourselves about our hair, the story we tell us ourselves about our value, the story we tell ourselves about being enough, and even how we wish something and we become so focused on looking at what someone else has, we lose sight of what God has given us uniquely and individually. And so before our break, I actually asked Dr. Holloway if she would think of what are three words she would use to actually describe her own journey and why those three words? Very powerful question. I would say discipline, dedication, and determination. And I say that because, and I will keep going back to my point of origin, which is Mount Bayou, Mississippi, a historically black town that was found by two former enslaved individuals, Isaac Montgomery and Benjamin T. Green. And their goal was to have a town where black people could be educated and empowered and can understand who they, are, they were, especially during the time of after Reconstruction. And so growing up on the farm, 
I was just really determined to make something of myself. So determination was already there. The discipline was when you go up on a farm, you get up at a certain time. If there are six with nine people in the family, one bathroom, you have to have some kind of strategic plan. You get your clothes out. So all of this really, truly helped me. And being dedicated, my parents always said, whatever you do, do, do your best. And so those things, I didn't categorically understand them to later on in life. But most of the time, like when people meet me, they say, oh, because you've been in the military, you're the way you are. But no, it's really my child rearing. And so I was saying being dedicated, determined, and disciplined mm. are the three things that has helped me. Powerful. And um, our listener, Diane um, Johnson Horton said her three words would be fearful, maturity, and then fearless. Wow. That sounds like a journey, Diane. And it even seems like Diane has kind of set the stage for you to talk a little bit about how those three words actually play out in a journey where you you had to move from a place of potential fear and concern of not being accepted into a place where you you not only have um, published, but you've published five books and you have created a platform that's impacting others. So can you tell us about you struggle to find your voice in publishing at first? And what advice would you actually provide someone who actually wants to begin writing, whether it be children's books or just writing their own narratives? Publish with a purpose, know your why. Because when I initially started publishing, it was really to save my job and so that I could be accepted among my colleagues. But I realized very quickly, no matter what I did or what I published, it was always, okay, you're doing this or you're not doing this. It's not this. You're not publishing this journal or whatever. And so I was still constantly not feeling good enough. And so I talked about, I coined this term called see me syndrome. So I began to work in this and unbeknownst to me, I wanted people to see me, to validate me. But I soon realized that I, I just, w- that wasn't going to happen. And so that's when I moved with what it is that you, what is you really doing this for? And what do you hope to accomplish? And so I have these three things that I literally live by. And that's always do your best, impact the space you're in, and leave a legacy. And so with that being said, I moved from just publishing with a purpose, because my purpose was to savage my job, and so that that the people in the community, academia, will value my voice. Um, not only just having a voice, but being visible with that. I began to publish with a purpose, with passion. And when and I would tell somebody, is to write something that you feel good about, that you can wake up and say, I'm okay with it. Because when you look at all the different books, whether small, big, large, not a lot of words, whole lot of words, picture books, whatever they are, that is something that you want to be proud of and that you can say why. Because when you go out and you're speaking to people, they can tell. And so when I'm really out doing my thing, it's really about something that I am really passionate about. I know we've been talking a lot about, you know, I love my happy hair, getting to the root of things. But my second book was Little Miss Linda Goes to Counseling. 
It has to do with mental health, mental wellness, because even in loving your hair and appreciate and being confident, if you don't, you, you'll get depressed and you feel bad. So we talked about some people who had lost their jobs because of the way they wore their hair to work, but they lost a lot in terms of their racial identity because that was their livelihood. So when you lose your job, you also lose the benefits that come with a job. That means that I no longer have health care. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And so all of this will impact your mental wellness and, and who you are in terms of a person. So I really chose topics that I was really uh, passionate about. So I would definitely say that. Write about things that you are passionate about. Uh, and don't be afraid. You know, when you're writing, you think that uh, you're going to do something that's different. But Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new on the sun. I remember I had this title for this book and I was really knew that God had given me this title and it was called <laughs> Happy Hair. It wasn't I love my happy hair. And when I began the research, somebody already had happy hair. And I was like, I know, God, you told me to write about happy hair. How could this be? So people said, well, spell it different. You can do. I said, but I want to do something different. So when I began to research, they said, that's what keeps a lot of people from writing, because you want this something that's unique, something that's different. You are going to have a different twist to it, but it's probably something that has already been written about. Mm -hmm. But your unique way of approaching it, I don't want people to miss the latter part of what you just said. Sometimes we will get sabotaged trying to be so unique that we lose sight of why we are telling the story or why we are fulfilling the mission. We're searching for an opportunity of see me and desiring to be so unique that we never actually get the story out, that we never actually create the legacy. I'd like for you to unpack the word legacy a little bit more. You, you talked about doing your best. You talked about really writing with passion and don't get so caught up on doing something that's unique, but actually commit to doing something filled with passion what about legacy? What do you hope your legacy is through this? Well, um, when I, one thing about my books is I really want to impact literacy, but I want it to be fun. Not just, I grew up on, you know, Three Pigs, Cinderella, you know, things like that. And so, but I wanted the students to have something that they could actually relate to that was relatable, it was readable, and it was reverent. And so when I think about legacy, oftentimes people say, leave a legacy, mean whatever you leave behind will stay. But also I wanted to impact the community. So in terms of um, reading, we know once again, we even though we have a lot of literacy programs, students can read, but it's more than just calling out words, see, spot, run. But can you comprehend? Do you understand what it's saying? Critical thinking skills. And so in terms of legacy is being able to have something that's tangible that you have left behind that will be gone long after you're gone is still people can go back and they can revisit and be there. Uh, coming from my family, not because I'm the smartest or the brightest, but out of nine children, I was the first one to go to college. And I've been a first in a lot of different things. And so I was the first one in my family to actually publish a book. And so and when I think of legacy, I think of being able to leave something behind. Matter of fact, I, you know, was 
looking at Mary McLeod Mathune because all the things that were going on with Mathune Cookman. And I was just really impressed with her wanting to educate people and what extent and the passion that she had for that. And I and that really drives me. And I, and once again, I go back when you grow up in an all black town that they can't because Mount Bayou. Most of the time, people say, "Well, why are they call it Mount Bayou?" Because there was a bayou. It was wilderness. It was a place that nobody wanted. So they had to cut down trees, mosquito. It was swampland. And so they just really instilled that in us that we should leave something behind. And I grew up with with parents that always say, "Leave things better than you found it." And so I just, it's just always been instilled in me. And then even in my faith, I just don't want to be someone who's just taken up space um, that, you know, I have made a difference along this journey. You said it earlier that it's not just about the hair or the thing that people see. This is about the root system that goes much deeper into our stories and you've referenced your childhood and how I see it and hear it in you as you share from a place of a root system that was cultivated and dug deep and grew deep into pride of understanding and seeking to understand who you are, where you came from, and that you have a purpose on this planet. And it just continues to inspire me as I listen to your heart and feel your energy. And I, too, think about those who have come before us and recognizing the cost they had to play. So they had to encounter or endure in order for us to be able to have access to the things that we have now. And without having that context, we can be dismissive or careless about right now. But when we recognize that it it costs someone for us to be here and for us to be able to have the freedom to, to share honestly and openly our stories about hair, our perspectives on identity, the opportunity to really connect with and encourage children with powerful stories. Because your titles are not the three little pigs kind of titles. <laughs> you you really are going after things that children are actually encountering, but you're giving them an opportunity to understand it in their own way, at their own level. I wanted to share a question that um, Dr. Claudia Curry, uh, one of our faithful followers, asked. She said, what is your advice for women who struggle with hair that is thinning or falling out during the aging process? How can we maintain the uniqueness of who we are and our hair? Wow, that's a I know. That's a that's, that's a, a really powerful great, question. That's a good it, question. It, it really is. And I don't want to dance with that uh in a way because I would definitely say, you know, seek with, you know, speak with your petition. Uh, but once again, I will go back to confidence because you have people and it's not there with Asian who have found that they have cancer and they knew they had to cut their hair, but they wore their ball boat with boldness. And so even though you're trying to hold on to 
what you have. Just look in the mirror and think, how can I work with what I got? Mm-hmm. And whatever, you know, with the thinning, you know, do I wear scarves? Do I um, wear hairpiece? Whatever it is, embrace that. And don't feel like because of that, because that comes, you like you say, it, it's an aging process. This is something that is beyond our con- your control. But I would definitely go back to where can you find the confidence? What can you do with what you have? Because what you have is what you have. And I know that, um, you know, like I said, you know, beauticians probably could really give you some real good advice. And there's probably some products out there that can even help in those particular areas. Um, but that's all a part of aging. We do want to hold on to various things. I think about um, NDRE's song, um, uh, mm-hmm. I Am Not My Hair. My hair. And it is for, I can't say it for, for every ethnic group, but I know for Black women, this, this journey around hair is significant. And when I think about, um, I know myself, I suffer from a thyroid condition that thins my hair. And it took me a minute to really embrace the fact that my hair was thinning. It isn't going to grow back. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Am I um, am I going to focus on the fact that I'm a woman with thinning hair or am I going to, to look in the mirror and embrace the journey of who this woman is today and identify how, how am I going, where am I going to go from here? That leads me into your ministry that you um, have. And in your bio, you talk about women without limits. What does that ministry mean for you? And how do you want that ministry to impact women? All the ministry means a a lot because um, one of the things I really truly stand on is my faith. So when I look at the women of the Bible, they just literally jumped off the page. So I knew then that that was my calling. And but these were women who went against the, the norms of the day, the cultural or whatever. You take these women who they were the only ones and back in the day, women could not own land. So they go to Moses and they basically say, they're the daughters, you know, that we want to have our land. And so he said, well, you know, I will have to consult. You think about the woman, you know, at the well. She was not supposed to be talking to a man. She All of these kinds of things. So you see them defying these cultural norms. So when I think about women without limitation and how God gave it to is we not limit ourselves about the cultural, the class, or the things that we find ourselves in. But what can I do with what I have? And so that's what I really want uh, people to take away from that or what we really talk about. It's really kind of thinking about what do I currently have? What can I do with what I currently have? Whether it's two fish and five loaves of bread. What can I do with those two fish and five loaves of bread? Whatever that looks like for you. Go back to the thinning of the hair, you know, and how we want that to define us. And so you see these women throughout the Bible where they are defying the norm. You see Esther, um, she calls a fast. She said, whether I live or die, you know, I'm going to go before the king. 
because we knew back then in order to go before the king, you had to have permission. But she was like, I'm going to do this. And she, everybody goes on a fast for these days. You know, I, I think the, even the animals went on a fast. But these are women who just really, really stuck out to me. You think about Deborah, the guy goes to and said, well, you know, if we go to war, you're going to get credit. And it was, he was like, I don't care. And so, but but because we lived in a patriarchal society, it would lead you to believe that women was oppressed and they really didn't do anything. So women without limitations allow us to have a voice, but not only just have a voice, and, but to be visible. And oftentimes people say, well, we want to be at the table. But I always say, don't just come to the table, rearrange the table, make sure you have something to be at the table. And then some people say, if you don't invite it to the table, create your own table. So these will be women without limitation. I miss Mary McLeod Mathum. She wanted to educate, you know, young black women. And so she, some say it was 15 cents, but we know she had a limited amount of money. But you also have to understand this story within the cultural context. So you have to go back and look and see where she was at that time and what was going on externally, that she was able to believe and stand on faith and say, I'm going to do it. But once again, without limitation, she said, I'm, I'm going to ask these white people, males, it, for money. So that was probably unfounded. And so that's what we do in Women Without Limitation is we try to bring it into current situation and have us to think about how we can use that, you know, during that particular, whatever time that we're going through or whatever challenges that we may have. Even in my own life, when I was going through and um, I didn't get tenure. And so I had to think about, I could limit myself and say, okay, I didn't get it because X, Y, Z. Okay, so how can you flip this? How can you not let this become something that defines who you are? But how can you get on the other side? And, how can, and so that begins a, another type of journey. But like, I, I will be honest with you, my, my purpose was to feel validated, to be seen. And then I moved to, okay, this is, this is bigger than that. Mm. You began actually the story um, that set up my next question. I'm curious, as we've talked about women without limits, we have talked about understanding our story. We've unpacked three important words for you that define your journey. What was, what was your flip moment for you that it was a moment where you actually created a flip and took back your power in recognizing who you are? Great question. And I'm going to answer that question because it has layers to it. Some mm -hmm. people have just one flip and that, that did it. I, for me, it was kind of like a double dutch. You know how you're going to jump in? So there were times I kind of kind of sort of flipped, but I didn't really flip. And then I realized when I began to unpack, like, who are you doing this for? Who are you trying to? And once again, that see me syndrome. And, you know, I wanted people to see me. I wanted them to value what I was doing. So once, so I really flipped when I, I, I spent about 14 years at Alabama um, A&M University. And then I transitioned to Alabama State University. So it was during that time, I began to just really do a lot of soul searching. Because now I'm in a culture that, you know, you, you talk about 
civil rights movement. You talk about people who marched across the beach and all the things that have happened. And I began to say, you know, it's bigger than, you know, you didn't get this. So what do you what do you want? Going back to that again. So I think that's when I made the complete flip. You know, like I said, you get in playing double dutch and you kind of do it. And then the ropes get you all tangled up and you jump back out. You're like, I ain't, I'm not doing that. So you play it safe again. You go back to what the world say. And then I just finally just jumped in and said, whatever way this is going to be, I'm going to just keep throwing the ropes and I'm going to play double dutch. And so I just jumped in. And so it was at that moment that I really did the flip and it was and it was, I would have to also say I was no longer in the military I no longer had that sense of identity so I was able to really just begin to pour in and so I just I, I, that's when I did it mm-hmm. knowing what you know now what you've experienced and and the double dutch moves of life that you've been able to navigate would you do anything differently and why? Absolutely. I would, um, because I, being a first generation, and now they call it first gen, I would really seek out a mentor. No one sought me out, but I would really get someone that's, you know, 20, 10 steps ahead of me. And I just really try to find out how to navigate different environments. Because the, the message that I got, you know, keep your head down, work hard, you know, stay out of the way. Those things, they do work, but you suffer in silence while you're smiling. Because I wasn't a woman who was abused, had a black eye, you know, had children or anything like that. So I wasn't, I was bleeding, but no one saw me hemorrhaging. And why I say that, because they couldn't see it physically. Because, you know, you got your terminal degree, you got a house, you got a car, you know, you you got a job. So I look like I wasn't bleeding. And so when I, I, so I would definitely say, get someone that where you're trying to go, or even if you don't know that's where you want to go and be able to have an open and honest conversation. We talk about safe places, um, but we really have to have places not only that are safe, but we can be brave enough to say, you know what? I don't feel like being a mother today. I don't feel like being a wife today. I don't, whatever that is, but you can still go back and, and, and be made whole again. You know, the whole story, hump the dump, they sit on the wall, all the came so, Lots of times we as black women, we feel that way. We can't be put back together again, but that's okay where you are and having that place that you can go to. And they said, baby, it's going to be all right. Mm. Being and, in, yeah. Being in relationship with someone who can help you gain perspective to help you give yourself grace for you to be honest with. I think there's a true weapon in isolation with that, put your head down, just keep moving forward. And that isolation can absolutely also become the place of sabotage for us. Would you agree? Absolutely. Because like I said, the different messages that you got and they, I'm not suggesting that they're bad messages, but it would be messages like, well, you got a job. You better hold on to it. You got a, a, a relationship. You got a marriage. But I'm, you're telling the person I, it's something that's not right. They said, but to death do you part. But yet you, you, you physically and emotionally, you're dead. 
And the other person is probably feeling the same way, but because the narratives that are there and what we want to live and how we want other people to see us and what and we feel like we have failed, but it's okay to fall, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. And so when I fell and I thought I had failed because I didn't get tenure, I felt like a failure. And I began to define myself, but on the outside, because I'm a pretty optimistic person, I just said the institution released me to my destiny. Unbeknown to me, unbeknown to me, that's what, so that's part of that double dutching. It's like, come on, you can get back in. And I'm like, it released me to my desk, but I don't know what it is, but I'm going to jump on in. And so that's, that's when you talk about the flip, because I think oftentimes when people use on the flip side, they think you just flip and that's it. But you might not, you might do a partial flip and come back down, but then eventually you just totally flip or you when you flip you you your knees are scarred you know your hair is going one way you're looking all kind of a certain way but you flip and you got on the other side and you say I should have did this when I was much younger because I did not know and I just think a lot of people that's just not something in our community we believe in stick and stay Mm. no matter how bad it is sticking you know hold on and see what the end's gonna be Yeah. But when you operate from a place that I move without limits, it's it's recognizing because, you know, I love and I watched on social media when you said the university released me (laughs) into my destiny. I that's a whole mental shift that said, I know somebody free. They the hearts just started flying up because it's real truth. Like we we can get into a place where we think the process is supposed to be this neat little package, but it can be messy, but we can't be afraid of the messiness. I cannot believe we are only about six minutes away from the end. And there is so much that we could continue to unpack. But I know that your faith is important to you. You have referenced um, scripture throughout the, the episode. I'm curious, how has your faith in God played a role in who you are today, in the, in the place you are in your journey today? It has been everything. It, and when I say everything, and even to the point, I think there are levels. I think that when you grow, you have like a baby phase. So it's like, you know, you ask God for something, it happens. Ooh, and then you get to a point, you may not hear anything. Or he might, you may hear something that chastises you, you know, or tell you to be quiet, be still, don't say anything. And so you begin to, so my faith has just really grounded me. Uh, tested me uh, and allowed me to really trust and depend on the Lord. Because when you start talking about somebody who's a type A person who believe in discipline, dedication and determination, also a particular person who believe I can fix it. There's got to be some kind of way. I'm going to lay it down, take a nap, but I'm going to come back, but I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure out a way. I got a plan. Plan A didn't work. Let me try plan B. Okay, plan D didn't work. I got a plan L. I got a plan. I just don't know. But when you have to trust and truly lean on the Lord and say that I, I, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't know the answers. And so my faith has really, truly has been 
my lifeline. Even I was in combat four times. And one of the things that I prayed that when I, I would see younger people, and as you get older, <laughs> you get seasoned, should I say, they look so young. But what I would see, this is somebody's child. This is somebody's husband, uh, you know, whatever it is. I was like, whatever mission that I'm on, I would always go and pray and say, God, get us back safely. Let's bring back, you know. And so it, it has just helped me throughout. So even just being sane, sober, and serious and not having to deal with a whole bunch of things that a lot of people deal with in terms of post-traumatic stress, for me, it has, it's nothing but my faith. Mm. Wow. So I know that people have been inspired by your insight, some of your tweetable statements. <laughs> and how can people um, follow and support you? Are there any projects that you're currently working on? There are. I have actually have three books in the pipeline. I hope they they'll be released soon and uh so i'm actually working on bad girls of montgomery when people hear that they something automatic goes to their mind but actually these are women who were behind the scene of the montgomery movement that people don't often talk about and so bad really stands for bold and determined and uh so and then the next one has to deal with um divorce and then the last one has to deal with death. And so I'm working on those projects. I really hope to get those out soon. And you can contact me at Linda Holloway Speak. I'm still still <laughs> social media, working on some things in those areas, but you, I definitely will respond. And just continue to pray and lift me up. And if you need me to come and do something, I can do a lot of things virtually. I will be more than happy. Uh, we launched, at least I launched this year, a 1,000 book giveaway. It's easy to talk about going into school and you just make the assumption that everybody has a book, everybody has a computer, but we know that we still deal in digital divides. So I go in the most vulnerable, marginalized, uh, oppressed communities. And one of the things afterwards is I donated uh, uh, the books afterwards. And so the students were really, really happy about that. Thank you, Dr. Holloway. You have really um, encouraged us and challenged us. And you actually not only wrapped up the end of January being the best version of you, you set the table for our theme in February, which is bold, black, and beautiful. And we have a whole suite of guests who are going to be with us and talking about what that journey can look like. How can we continue to recognize and what does it, what is at stake now with so many things, so many positive things on the horizon. Next week, we are having state representative Morgan Cephas on the show, and she's going to be talking about equity and opportunity. And then after her, we're going to have Kimberly, Kimberly Lawson. And then we're going to have uh, Shanitha Burton, who is a Black publisher. She publishes amazing women's stories. And then to round out our month, we're having Dr. John Tyus. So stay connected right here on the flip side. And we Thank you, Dr. Holloway, for the legacy you have le left right here in this conversation. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. 
Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.